0: So we want to bow our heads as we get ready to look at our message it's going to be in Luke chapter 19 starting at verse 11. Lord we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word guide and lead us as we examine what you have to say to us today and we thank you in Jesus name Amen. Luke chapter 19 starting at verse 11 through verse 28. And as they heard these things, he added and spoke this parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and, is, and to return. And he called, to, called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said to them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have you to reign, have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him and to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came first saying, Lord, you your pound hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in very little. Have you therefore authority over 10 cities? And the second man saying, to, "Saying, Lord, you, your pound has gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be you also over five cities. And another came saying to him, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared you, because you are an austere man, and you take what you have not laid laid down, and re- reap where you have not sown. And he said unto him that by your own mouth will, you, will I judge you. You wicked servants, you knew that I was an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping what I did not, so wherefore then gave you not my money into the, to the bank that they that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto him, them that stood by, take from them this pound and give it to him that has ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he has ten pounds. And I say unto you, for I say unto you that every, that unto every man that hath shall be given, and unto him that hath not shall what he hath be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. So here we have the story that Jesus had He just got done talking to Zacchaeus, the previous previous story, And remember at the end of Zacchaeus, he says, for this day salvation has come unto you. And we talked about how that was a declaration that he was the Messiah. And so he's now talking to a group of people that are listening to him. They're all out there. And he adds this next story. And he says, the reason is that they thought the kingdom would be starting immediately. All right. And this has been the problem all along the disciples believed that Jesus had come and that a kingdom was going to sprout up and he was going to have a revolution and kick kick Rome out of out of the area and he was going to set up the the universal kingdom of of uh, at Jerusalem and that he was going to be the the messiah coming to reign they did not recognize that his first coming was to come to die for the sins of man and that his second coming would be for the the reign of the reign of, for the millennial kingdom. So all this time, he's having problems even with the Jews. And remember that even John the Baptist, who said, according to God, that here is the Messiah, when he was in prison, sent his disciples to Jesus to say, okay, are you really the Messiah? Because you're not doing what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. All right, now he didn't say it quite that clearly, because but his question was, are you the one, or should we be looking for somebody else? Because he's looking and saying, All right, you're 30 years old and we have not seen a rebellion start here to get Rome out of here. What is going on? Are you really the Messiah? And this is what they were always waiting for. And the problem that we have as Christians is sometimes we get expectations of God that get in the way of what we see him doing because we don't recognize what he's doing because he's not doing what we want him to do. And this is what he's getting ready to prepare to them. He's not going to do what they want. They're wanting a kingdom right this moment. The last part of this chapter, which we we'll are be covering in about five weeks after, after we take a break for Christmas messages, is the triumphant entry when he actually enters into Jerusalem to be declared to be the Messiah and the King. And if he hadn't given this statement before, then they would have expected right then that this was the beginning of the revolution. The King has come, we're now gonna see Rome kicked out. All right. And, you know, we kind of think it's funny because we don't think the same way they do, but that was the way they thought. Every mother who gave birth of the line of David that gave birth to a, a male child was going, have I given birth to the Messiah? Is he going to be the one that is going to sit on David's throne and, and reign, for, reign from here and everybody's going to be subject to Israel? That was their great hope. This is their hope right now. And this is their hope even today of the of the devout Orthodox Jew is that someday a, somebody from the seed of, Jesus, of uh, David will rise up and reign from Jerusalem and rule the world. And this is why, according to Revelation, when, when J- the Antichrist appears and gives them peace and lets things rule out there, gives them their temple, they going, okay, he's the one, he is our Messiah. And they had a habit of following various messiahs, false messiahs over the years. They had Melchizedek who, uh, not Melchizedek, um, yeah. Anyway, big, big one right before them, the, the big rebellion that was up there. Uh, and they raised up and fought against Rome and brought down a lot of pressure upon Israel because of their fight. They've had over time all kinds of people standing up and saying, I am, I am Christ, follow me. I am the Messiah, we're going to start everything. Jesus doesn't do what all these other ones did. He spoke very bold. He went against the religious uh, uh, sediments. He reached out to the Gentiles, which really shocked them. Uh, He healed people and all of these things that he did that said, I am Messiah. And... You know, over and over again he gets this. So he gives them this parable and says that a certain nobleman, which of course was him, went on a city journey to get his kingdom. Now, we know that this journey was the time between the cross to the time he returns. All right, he's talking about himself. He's going on. He says he gave them 10 pounds. Now, what this amounts to is 10 pounds was approximately $300. All right. So he took $300 and dis- dispersed it between 10 different servants. So they each had 30, about 30, approximately $30. And he says, go and occupy till I return. Now, we don't really catch that in, in the, unless you know old English. But when he said occupy, he says, go do business. Go take this $30 and see what you can do with it. All right. So he goes, go trade, go, go make money, plant seed, whatever you want to do. Go use this to make a business and increase my money. And even in that day, it wasn't a whole lot of money. All right. It was significant, but not not a whole lot of money. And then he went away. When he went away, the citizen said, we do not want you to reign over us. What was going to happen to him in just a few days was that the Jews were going to move against him. The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees were going to get him put and executed. They did not want him. And to this day, many of the Jews do not want to worship Jesus. And they don't recognize him as the Messiah. Part of it has been things done in the name of Christ against the Jews, and some of it is because they don't understand. They don't fully understand anything about Jesus and they think they know, and it's quite interesting when you talk to a Jew and you go, you know, and they'll say, well, I can't believe in that Jesus guy, and you go, you do know that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi? I didn't know that. (laughs) You know, he never spoke anything against Judaism. I didn't know that. You know, and it's really sad because even when we talk to non-Christians, how many non-Christians have seen so many Christians misbehave and do things wrong that they think that that's the way Christians behave? And unfortunately, in history, we've had many kings that were quote unquote Christians and they did things in the name of Christ that were very non-Christian, all right? So it is unfortunate out there that people do not live the way Christ said to live. Even in our day, we've got so many Christians who don't, or Christians by name anyway, that don't worship Christ. Now, and this is one of the questions, and I've said this over and over. When people tell me something, I like to ask them. I take the Jewish way of th- doing things, and I ask them what they mean. Well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Now, back in the 60s and 70s, if you ask them, they would tell you, well, I'm an American, so I'm, an a, I'm a Christian. Now, they do not say that any more, hardly anymore. Uh, nowadays, it's, well, I'm a pretty good person, so I'm a Christian. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what Christianity is about. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Okay, wonderful. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, I just believe in Jesus. Well, you do really wonderful. James says that if you, I believe, you say, I believe in Christ, you do well. The devils believe. You know, so the question is, what about Jesus do you believe? And this is what's important. You know, we as Christians really need to very lovingly but gently push back beyond what people say when they say things. Uh, We've got entire non-Christian groups that claim to be Christian groups that deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They will tell you they believe in Jesus. And you ask them, well, what do you believe in Jesus? Well, I believe he's a pretty good teacher. He was a prophet. Well, that's not the Jesus that my Bible talks about. That's not the, the Jesus that I believe in. I believe in the Son of God who went to the cross, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again so that we could have the victory and have eternal life. That's very different from what most people say when they say, I believe in Jesus. What do they say when, I'm, when they say that I'm a Christian? Well, it's not being a good person. It is being in a relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal walk with him. So we need to be able to push back against these really gentle things that they say because they like to make us think that they're one of us when all they are is a tear. These men, these people said, we are not gonna follow this nobleman. When he becomes king, we're gonna rebel. Now you don't rebel against a king very easily, but their plan is you know, we're gonna rebel against him. Then it says he returns and he calls his people to him. Now this is something that's very important for each one of us as a Christian, we have been given gifts from God. Some people very little, some people quite a bit, but God is going to take and say, I want an accounting of what you have done with what you were given. And that's going to be very interesting because when we stand at the Bemis seat of Christ, that's where we as Christians stand before, God is going to say, what have you done? I gave you gifts, did you use them? Now the beauty of this is if you're given very few things, it's quite easy to use your very few things. All right, all you're going to do is put together whatever it is that he's given you. You may not get accomplished as much as some other people get, but you know what? You got accomplished what you were gifted to do. And I think this is very important. We can never compare ourselves to somebody else because we don't know what somebody else has been given. Sometimes people will look at pastors and going, well, look, look at all the stuff they're doing. They get to, to preach and people get saved and all these things. But even then, do you know whether that pastor is using up all the gifts that God has given them or just a small portion of them? I don't know sometimes I'd have no idea maybe they're only using half of the gifts that they were given and they got a lot done but they did not get everything they should have done through the gifts that God gave them sometimes I wonder whether I use all my gifts at times but you know we need to be able to look and say are we going to use what we have and do something with it the first man he doubled his money He goes, I've got got 10 more, your your gifts have been doubled. I've done a good job with it. And he said, good job, I'll give you rule over 10 cities. Now I've always wondered what rule over 10 cities means for for eternity. What will it mean to have rule for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth? I have no idea. I have no idea what's gonna come in. All I know is that God's gonna recreate the heavens and the earth. The new Jerusalem's coming down. He's going to reign from Jerusalem for eternity. There's going to be gates that are opened up. There's going to be commerce going on. There's going to be activity going on. There's going to be things happening, and I have no idea what it means. But you know what? If we are faithful with what he's given us, we will have some rule over something. I have no idea what it means to rule. Maybe we'll rule over the angels. I know that's part of what we rule over. Maybe we'll have... to direction and instruction to the angels, maybe we'll have direction and instruction over other Christians who have not used their gifts. Who knows what it's going to be about? All I know is that anybody that's above me will be glorified and perfect. So I don't have to worry about that. They'll, they'll be the right ruler over me. And he says, this man was given more. Let's, let's leave it at that. He was given more. He used his gifts and God gave him more. The one that came in with five, you know, came back and he says, well, you know, I only got uh, five more, but you know, this, it's all yours. And he gave him rule over five. Now, I've always wondered what would have happened if somebody had done some training, trading and everything and lost everything? Would God have said you at least tried so you're going to be blessed? Probably. But the, one, the third one he talks about is the one who went in and goes, you know, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you because of your requirements are so strong, so so heavy, that I just hid my talent, I was afraid to use it. Over the years I've seen many Christians that take that attitude toward God and hide their talent. I'm not going to do it because I might not do it good enough, people might make fun of me, I might lose it, so I'm not going to do anything with that talent. And our churches are filled with people who do nothing. But sit in sit in pews, you know, and this is something that is very important for us. Are we using whatever it is God gave us? Now each person needs to look at your life and say, what has God given me? What has he allowed me to be strong in? Some people it's gonna be prayer. Some people are, are great encouragers. They're just people you want to be around because of how encouraging they are. Some people are, are workers. They get work done. Uh, you know, especially if they can do construction work and stuff, they're really wonderful because I can't nail two pieces of wood together and have them stick, you know, uh, hold up very long. So I need those kind of people around me to be able to do those kind of things. Uh, you know, what are your gifts? You know, and be able to utilize your gifts for the church. We have so many people in this church that have simple gifts that, that I watch and, I, and they're using them for the church, and it's wonderful. Are we using all of our gifts? This one man said, "Uh, I hid your gift. And Jesus' answer was something really interesting. He goes, you should have at least put it into the bank or the money changers as as it is in another place. Then he goes, that I would at least have gotten some interest on my money. I might not have gotten a lot, but you would have gotten something for what what you had. You know, and there are people in in churches that their gift is really to make money, and then if they can use that money to build up God's kingdom, that's great. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And I've heard people that are going, well, you know, the only thing I'm really good at is running businesses. Well, praise God. Run your business, give 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 a tenth or more to God, and you'll be all set. Because there are a lot of people that can't run a business. You know, And we really want to be very careful because so many times people will think that there is this big difference between this is what is church work and this is what is secular work. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no difference between it. If you're doing what God has told you, you are doing God's work. And it may seem secular to you, You may just be one of those people that are really good at making money and supporting God's work. We need those people. Maybe you're the type of person who all you can do is you know you're a gardener, and you can you know keep keep up the property. Maybe you, maybe you're going to grow vegetables and give them out to the people in the church that needs it. Whatever it might be, those are very simple things that people need, and really be able to look at what has God called you to do. Are you a teacher? Are you an administrator? You know, are you a uh, a singer? Can you play instruments? Now we have a very small church and we don't have a whole lot of instrument players and everything. We have Kay who does a wonderful job for us, but you know, I wouldn't mind having other instruments in the church playing. Have to have more practices, but we, it would not be that big a deal. You know, uh, we're never big enough, I don't think, to have a full orchestra up here. We'd have nobody out there, but, you know, have drum, kettle drums and trumpets and, and uh, flutes and all that stuff, violins, you know, whatever God was to put into our midst, we want to use. If you're a musician, use, use your skills. If you're just somebody who is an encourager, use those skills. If you are an absolute prayer warrior, use that skill for the church and for the kingdom because prayer warriors are needed. People who literally will pray and watch God answer their prayers are needed. We need all of our gifts to be brought out. So whatever your gifts are, put them before God and say, God, how can I use my gift to lift up your kingdom? Because that's what he says to this person. He goes, you foolish servant, take away his pound and give it to the one who who had 10, who made 10. And this kind of, everybody around him going, but he already has so much, why would you give him more? The wonderful thing about God, and I think this verse says he gives each person an equal amount, and I think he does give us all an equal amount of, of talent. How we utilize it is totally different. How we grow it can be totally different. You know, how do we use our talent to, to, to be able to be built up? But he also says that from he who has much, much will be given. And he that has little, even what he has, shall be taken away. This man did nothing with it, and he lost what little he had to be given away. We need to understand that God gives us everything that we have. When we stand at the BMC, the only thing we have is the stuff that he gives us anyway, not, by, not our own righteousness. The stuff that we used for his kingdom that he was able to bless and then return back to us, and then we get to take that into eternity. You know, we don't get to take silver and gold and all these things up to, into heaven. We get to take the, re, the rewards for what we have done in this world. And what have we done in this world? Hopefully we have planted seeds in, for salvation in people. Maybe we've been the one that watered. Maybe you've been very fortunate and you got to be the one that actually harvested the, the, the soul by, by, by saying the prayer with them. But you know, every one of those steps is important and will be rewarded. Maybe you've been one that has been able to support missionaries and say, Oh, well, I can't really go out to these places, but I'm going to give to those ones. And your gifts will be part of what gets out there. Um, you know, the song that I love is Thank You, Lord. And one of the songs in there, he goes, you know, you don't know who I am, but, you know, you saw this video from a missionary and, and you gave what little you had, and I'm here because of the gift you gave. You know, we don't know what the impact we have on somebody's life is in many cases. Maybe you just say say a kind word, give a drink of water in the name of Christ to somebody, and they get saved 20 years later, and you don't even know who they are. But you'll get the reward for that salvation, part of their being part of that salvation, just because you helped them down that road. You know, Paul said that I have watered, you know, Peter, Peter uh, Apollos uh, planted, uh, Peter watered, and I have, and I have re- re- sown, uh, re- reaped. Each one of us gets a part of that blessing. Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Now, he commanded us to go and reach the world. Now, his last words before he was ascended was go, make disciples. Now, this doesn't mean make new Christians necessarily, though that would be part of making disciples. But make disciples. Who do you disciple in your, in your life? Who is in your life, in your your realm that you disciple? You know, we just went to Northern California to, for my dad's memorial. He was my discipler for many years. He discipled me. Uh, got saved after me, but grew, grew real fast at first and discipled me. I have spent many years pouring into my family, pouring into various people that I have taught. I've always got somebody I'm discipling and teaching how to study the Word of God, how to grow. Who in your life is one that you are discipling? Hopefully your kids at the very least. Now for those of us who have grandkids, do we, are we reaching out to our grandkids to try to disciple them? Are we reaching out to people in our sphere and reaching? Now, we all need somebody who is discipling us as well. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with God. You know, The longer we've walked with God, the less we need a discipler, but we still need to have somebody. You know, I have about two or three people in my life. When I run into some really big problem and I need somebody to help me understand something or give me advice, there's a couple people that I go to. There are my disciplers, not everyday disciples, but they are the ones that are still looking to, that I look to. We all need to kind of identify who are the ones that we look to, who are our disciplers, and who are we discipling, because that is where we are pouring into people's lives. We all need somebody. Some people will have more than others. You know, I'm a teacher. I love to teach. I love to disciple people. That's part of who I am. But we all need somebody that we're reaching out and bringing God's word into, which is why a lot of times it's our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, nephews, whoever it might be, that we are able to say, I'm gonna pour into this person's life. I wanna see them grow. One of the things that I've found at this memorial is we had so many of the younger uh, cousins that my dad had poured into and had impacted their lives and watched things that they said that were spiritual. And it was an amazing thing, especially when I hardly knew some of these cousins, to see how much impact was put into other people's lives. And I I don't know if he knew much of what he poured into people's lives either. We may not know how much we poured into people's lives when the time comes, because we see it over a period of time. I had somebody send me an email, a couple months ago said you may not remember me but I was in this particular group that you used to teach and I I was impressed by what you what you said to us I don't remember what he he never really said what I said to them but something I said had a long-term impact on his life you know it's very amazing when we meet somebody out that we haven't been around for a long time and we see and they'll say I'm here because of something you did or said or an example you set is that why we do things? No, we do things just to serve God. And the reward is that by serving him, a greater reward is returned back to us. Jesus said to the, these people, the kingdom is coming. And then once he had taken care of his servants that he had given a job, he called the people who did not want to be, have him be their ruler and he executed them. This is coming for Jesus as well in the white throne judgment. All those that have rejected Jesus as their as his Lord and Savior will stand before him at the white throne. And it says there, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And at that point, it is too late. We as Christians get to joyfully bend our knee before God and and testify that he is Lord. At the white throne, every knee will bow. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire as their last judgment. And we've talked about this. When they stand before him, nobody's going to be able to say, I deserve to go into heaven at that point because they will be standing before him in their righteousness, which is filthy rags. And he's going to say, be gone. You did not choose to follow and obey me. Now you're going to be executed. Or, in the case of them, eternal damnation. So we have this story that Jesus is giving to them and saying, The kingdom is not starting tomorrow when I go into, into the triumphant entry. But it is still coming. I'm going away and I will receive my kingdom. And he's waiting. To this day, he's waiting to come back. He's waiting to claim his bride. Jesus went away 2,000 years ago waiting to get his bride and bring, it to, bring his bride to the marriage supper he is waiting in heaven right now to say is it time to call my bride and take her home that will be the rapture we will be in the rapture and we will be taken for a seven year marriage feast <laughs> while the world goes through a lot of power or problems I'm not going to say hell because it won't be that bad but it will be pretty bad it will seem like hell to them and they will go through A period of God's judgment upon them. 21 plagues that God tells us about in in Revelation will fall upon this world. 66% of the population will die during that period of time. It's a lot of death. And then Jesus will return to set up a kingdom for a 1,000 years. We have all of this going on, and he's telling them right now, you guys are expecting the kingdom to be starting right up, and it's not time for the kingdom to start. There's more to come. There's more to come as, he, as the bride and the work and the activity of the church is going to happen. And we see all of these things going on and are still going on. And I think we're closer to the day of Jesus' return. And I'm looking forward to the day that he returns. On one side of me, I'm like going to see my kid, my grandkids grow up and And follow God and all of that. But you know what? I've also want to see. I just want to go home. This world is getting bad. I'm tired of this world. While I'm needed here, I'm glad to be here. But you know what? I'm looking forward to the day when I get to go to the, the throne room of Christ. And stand before him. And get my glorified body. And say now is the time. And I hope all of you are looking forward to that day. You know when he calls us home, when millions disappear from this world because they're called and snatched out of this world. And it starts the whole process of the end days when Christ will come back to rule. So we have all of this going on, and his warning to the people was, it's not that time yet. It's not time for this kingdom that you're waiting for. It's not time for the reign of Christ to kick Rome out of here. And he kept warning them. And even the disciples never understood this message until after the Holy Spirit came and filled their lives. When Jesus died on that cross, they were thinking, we picked the wrong horse. You know, we picked the wrong person to be Messiah. They were worried about being killed themselves because they had been seen with this man who was now dead and they were in fear. Even though he told them he was going to die and come back three days later, they're in absolute panic and fear. And then he comes back and encourages them, saying, I told you this is what's going to happen. And they start understanding the words. He spends 40 days with them, telling them about all the stuff that he had told them about, reminding them. And then on the 50th day from his crucifixion, they got baptized by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and then all power was given to them and they really understood what it was that he had said. And now they went out boldly giving out the name of Christ. Our job in our in this dark world is to boldly pronounce Christ. And you know what? We may not face death and everything, but we face ridicule right now in America. We face hard times in America. They're probably coming a time when we might even face death in America for being Christians. Things are getting that bad out there. It's just a moment before a switch can turn and we can face face death. We've got all kinds of laws in the process that could really make things miserable for Christians. Are we ready to stand with Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us and say, Thank God, I have been found worthy to suffer with Christ. That was the disciples' refrain every time in the book of Acts. That was their refrain. Thank God, we have been found worthy to suffer. We as Christians in America, especially, have not suffered very much. You know, like I say, a few, few name callings, a few, a few harassments here and there, but no real suffering. We need to get our mindset in the idea that we are ready. To suffer for Christ and be ready because it's coming it is coming especially if we are at the end days like we believe it is coming that we will suffer before the resurrection before the rapture so get ready get set for all of the trials that are coming Lord we ask you to bless today Lord if there's anybody listening online or even in this room that doesn't know you, that we ask that today would be the day that they will accept you and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I, I believe that Jesus died on that cross for my sin. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior and turn them life over. For Lord, for those of us that know you, we ask that you give us an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be bold and courageous to share you with others and to be ready to take whatever suffering that might come and say, thank God I've been found worthy to suffer. And we ask you to, during all this time, to bless us, give us these opportunities, and give us the eyes to see, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured of eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.